today, hey, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 10, all right? So we are continuing our series called Dwell, and we are looking, as we have been since uh, September, early September, we've been walking through the books of Leviticus, I'm sorry, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we've been looking at how God had come down to dwell among his people, the ancient Israelites, right? And he is teaching them who he is. He has commanded them to be his witnesses in the world. And boy, have we seen amazing parallels and translations from that era to modern day era and exactly what Jesus is calling us to do as his people today. So we're going to continue. And this is actually part two uh, of the sermon we started last week. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. You can look on the screens. The verses will be on there for you as well. But Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 12 through the beginning of chapter 11. So before we dig into that, uh, let me pray for us today that the Lord would help us understand his word and that we would enjoy listening and learning today as we seek to be obedient to him. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we get to come and be a part of what you are doing here at Kernan, what you are doing in the world. Lord, we are just a small fraction, as we just clearly saw in the video, Lord, we are just a small part of the larger and greater kingdom of God. So Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful that we get to be a part of your story and what you are doing in this world. So Lord, I pray that we would be faithful today as we listen. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak deep into our hearts through the power of your word. Lord, change who we are. Change the way we think about ourselves change the way we think about you, change the way we think about this world for the, your glory, for our good. Lord, lead us today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, maybe you've had a boss that has just been frustrating before because he gave you assignments, but he didn't tell you or instruct you exactly how to do the assignment, right? So he tells you, hey, can you give me a rundown on your clients? And you're like, what's a rundown? I don't know what that is, right? Or maybe you've had a coach before who said, hey, hit the baseball, hit the baseball, right? And you're like, okay, but I'm in T-ball. Show me how to hold the bat, right? I don't even know how to step forward and hit the baseball, right? You know, just the other day, uh, me and my kids were in the front yard and we had this little plastic golf set. And uh, so they're trying to hit the golf balls and they're not doing very well. But what do I do? I go over there and I show them how to hold the club. I show them how to take it back and how to hit it. And I'm no golf instructor, but I will say it worked and they hit them pretty good. So, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know. But uh, so let me ask you this, right? Do you ever feel, do you ever feel like as a Christian, maybe you've been told, hey, be nice or do this or do that, but you've never really been told how to do it. Right? Maybe, it's, maybe it's frustrating sometimes as believers, as followers of Jesus in this modern world that we live in because we read and we hear and we see things and we think we're supposed to be or live a certain way, but maybe you're just frustrated because you don't understand how. How am I supposed to love the Lord? How am I supposed to love other people? Well, let's be clear. It's not because we haven't been told how to do it. Right? God's Word, the Bible, we believe is abundantly clear. It's probably clearer than you think, right? When you really get into the details of the scriptures and you see the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament about all kinds of certain practical daily life issues, the Bible is clear, all right? Now, I'm not saying that it speaks about every single little gray issue that there is in the world today, but it is very clear on the principles of God's truth and how to apply many of those principles. We see these things clearly in the New Testament, 
So if we think we haven't been told how to love God or how to do something, maybe it's because we haven't clearly listened. Or worse, maybe it's because we've heard God's commands in his word, but we've deliberately chosen to ignore them or perhaps even worse, disobey them. Well, last week, last week we saw that the answer to the question, what does God ask of us? What does God really want from us? And we saw the answer to that is that God wants us to give ourselves fully to him, right? We must give ourselves fully to the Lord, every part of who we are. So if there's some segment or compartment of your personal life that you feel that you are holding back, right? And for some reason, you're not really being fully obedient to the Lord, right? So maybe you're not stewarding your finances well according to God's glory, right? Or in ways that really contributes to his kingdom. Maybe you are being short-tempered at your work or even at home with your spouse or your kids. And so there's just some part of your temperament. There's some part of your emotion that you're not fully giving to the Lord in obedience. And you're not seeking to let the Lord change that in your life. There are all kinds of different examples and different ways where we hold something back and we refuse to just really live freely in obedience. Obedience, instead, we restrain ourselves and we restrain our lives from giving ourselves fully to the Lord. And so that's exactly what, Mo what Moses is addressing in Deuteronomy chapter 10. The whole book of Deuteronomy is essentially a, a great sermon. It's a sermon and a final sermon from Moses to the Israelites before they enter into what we know as the promised land, Canaan. But Moses was not allowed to enter because of his past disobedience, and we've already covered that, but, but we see that he's, he's telling them, listen, these are the most important things you need to know. If you're going to live for the Lord in this new pagan culture with all kinds of idolatries and false gods and false worship, you need to know these things. And so we get to just a really meaty, meaty part of that in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and where Moses is telling them, listen, you've got to give all of who you are to the Lord. You can't hold something back. So let's read again. I want to read it just like we did last week, right? The same passage in its entirety, all right? And then we'll break it down. So Deuteronomy 10, we'll start in verse 12. We'll go to chapter 11, verse 1. So here's what Moses says. He says, and now Israel, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? Here's the answer. But to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. 
Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. See, that's the main point. Love the Lord your God. Give yourself fully to the Lord. That's what Moses is saying here. Now, last week, we saw from specifically verses 14 and 15 why this must be true. The why, right? Why should we give ourselves fully to the Lord? Because God is our creator. He made the heavens and the heavens of heavens, Moses says. He made the earth and all that is in it. So God is our creator and therefore he is our authority. There's really no other scenario, right? He is the inventor of you. If you invent something, you get to patent it and you get to decide how its function and its purpose and its meaning and you can tell other people how they're supposed to use it. It's your invention. Guess what? You are God's invention. He owns the rights to you. So he is our creator, which naturally means he is our authority. So guess what? It makes perfect sense for us to live within the way he designed us to live. It makes perfect logical sense for us to submit to his authority, to listen to what he has to say, and to align our lives with his truth. That much is clear and logical, right? But he's not just above us as an authoritative figure. He's not distant from us. We also learned last week, as Moses says, yet, yet he has set his heart on us, right? He is also with us. He is for us. You see, the Israelites at the time, these thousands of years ago, they did not know then what we know now. That God himself would become human. That God himself would become one of us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Which is truly remarkable, right? I mean, the creator of all things, the heavens of heavens, the earth and all that is in it, that he would actually become one of us. What a humbling thing for him to do. So why would we not? Why would we not give ourselves fully to the Lord? Look at how our great and awesome God who rules over us, he loved us so much that he became one of us and sacrificed himself for us. What other proper response could there be, right? I mean, when you really think about it, it makes perfect sense that we would give all of who we are, every part of our lives, even the parts we've been holding back selfishly or sinfully, we give them fully to the Lord, right? Because he gave himself fully to us. It's the only proper response. So that's the why. That's the why that we covered last week. Now today, how? How do you hit the baseball, right? How do you hit the golf ball, right? How do you do that? How do we really give ourselves fully to the Lord? All right, a couple of things, really just two big ones that we see right out of Deuteronomy 10. The first one is this. Love him with practical action. Love him with practical action, all right? So let's look a little closer at verses 12 and 13. Now, Moses says, he answers his own question here, right? He says, what does the Lord require of you? What are you supposed to do? What does God really ask of you? Well, to fear him, right? To walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, to keep or observe all his commandments. Those, that's what he's saying, right? So theologian Christopher Wright says to fear the Lord 
That means that we must have a respect, a reverence for him that really permeates all other attitudes in our life. To walk in all his ways means that we imitate God's character in our daily rhythms and patterns of life. To serve him means, of course, that we actually serve him as his, he owns us, we're his bond servants, you could say, right? So we give ourselves and serve his kingdom in some way. To keep or observe his commandments is to give careful, conscientious, and constant attention to the terms and stipulations of our relationship with God. So in other words, he's saying, listen, this is a well-rounded, holistic effort. God owns you. He's your creator. He's your authority. So give all of who you are to him in all of these ways. There's five commands here, right? There's five commands in verses 12 and 13. But what's central, what's central to all of those is the command to love God. In fact, uh, commentators say that it's actually placed there in the middle, right? The word love him, to love him, is placed in the middle of the other four commands, because it is the central command. So the verse is actually structured intentionally with the word love, the command to love God, being in the middle. Why? Because if you truly love God, if you really love the Lord, you will give yourself fully to him. At least you will seek to do that. You will strive to do that. You will respect him. You will walk in his ways. You will seek to serve him. You will seek to observe and keep his commandments. So Jesus said himself, right? This is, very, this is very easy to get to the New Testament here because Jesus said this himself. Jesus said that loving God was the greatest thing we could do, right? Look on the screen, Matthew 22. These are the words of Christ. Jesus said to him when someone asked, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus is making it very clear that loving God is literally the most important thing that you could ever do in this life. Now, let me ask you this. Like, what if you don't feel like loving God? And I think that's a, I think that's a real valid question because I think a lot of us, we, we know in our heads, right? We, we know this idea, this concept that we should love God, right? That much is clear. Like nobody in this room probably even disagrees with that. But do we always feel like we are loving God well? Or what if we don't feel like loving God at all, even though we know we should? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know why runners enjoy running? Yeah, me either. I don't know. <laughs> I've never figured that out, right? No, you know why? You know why runners, and some of you are runners, God bless y'all, y'all are great humans. Um, <laughs> why, do, why do people who love running, you know why they love running? You know, you know the answer is very simple, because they run. Yeah, that's it. Runners love running because they run a lot. You know what I mean? Here's what I mean. We are commanded to love God. We are commanded to do what he commands. So, Normally, what we do is we wrongly assume, we wrongly assume that we have to feel like loving God before we can act out that love, before we can serve him, before we can obey him or give a certain part of our life to him. So here's a clear example, right? So maybe you, you might say, you know, I don't read my Bible because I don't really feel like doing it. It's not that I don't know that I should do it. I mean, I know I should, but I just don't feel like reading my Bible. But you have to do it first. You have to train yourself and discipline yourself just like a runner. 
to go out and run. And you know what happens? You know what happens? You learn to love it. It's true. You learn over time to love it. And you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. He's churning up and turning up all these, all these sins and things in your, that are gross and ugly that you don't want to look at in your heart, but you start to see them as you get into God's Word on a daily rhythm and a daily pattern. And what do you see? You see the Lord changing the way you think. You see the Lord slowly and gradually over time changing the things you love. You see your actions. Our actions have the power to pull along our feelings. They really do your feelings will eventually catch up. So if you feel like you're having trouble loving God because of some emotional restraint, listen, just discipline yourself. Get up and run. Get up and run to his word. Get up and run to him and develop that healthy pattern. And guess what? The feelings will follow. Theologian Matt Fuller says, the Lord wants internal emotions and external actions. Both matter. Now, he says that's true in a marriage, too, and I agree, right? Now, just think of a marriage where if, if, you're, in, if you're married and both you and your spouse, spouse, you only say, right, you only say, I love you, but you never actually demonstrate that love through practical action. So you may say, oh, I love you, honey, but you never help clean the house. Or I love you, honey, but you never help put the kids to bed, or whatever, right? That's not demonstrating love. So those are just empty words. You can say I love you all you want, but if you're not actually helping, if you're not actually doing something and showing that love in action, it's empty. But you know what? The opposite is true as well. What about a married couple who does a lot for each other? So they're, they're always doing things, they're busy, right? But they never say I love you. Or they never express those feelings. See, both both extremes are unhealthy. But when it comes to our relationship with God, yes, there's an emotional aspect that does involve feelings as we just talked about. But you know, I think most of us struggle with the practical action part of this. Most Christians today have no problem with saying out loud, oh, I, I love God, or, or even in prayer, like, I, I love you, Lord, I love God. I mean, we just sing, right? We sing about it now. We sing about it every Sunday. We sing songs at church declaring our love for God verbally. So many of us probably think we're fine spiritually as long as we kind of feel good about us talking about how we love God. But feeling good about yourself, or at least about the things that you're saying, that's not the goal of your salvation. And it's definitely not a demonstration of your salvation. When it comes to daily life, when it comes to the real moments of your day, how are you loving God in practical action? Now, if you look closely again at verses 12 and 13, you see, yes, there's those feelings and emotions are there, but there's a lot of action here. Right? These are very active commands. Obeying God's commands means you're actively pursuing things that honor the Lord. So how can you do that? Right? How can you love God with practical action? All right, a couple of little things right here. These aren't on the screen, but you can jot these down if you're taking notes. First of all, spend time with God in prayer and studying the Bible. Spend time with God in prayer and in his word. I know that may seem elementary, like that's Christianity 101, but are you doing it? 
Like, are we doing this regularly? Are we getting up early and taking that run? Are we disciplining ourselves and learning to love this action? That's real action. And that leads to practical wisdom in your daily life. What about this? Obey God's commands that you clearly see as you study the word, right? So if you see something and it says, hey, you should be slow to anger and slow to speak. And then you get in a conversation later on with your spouse or maybe with a coworker. And, you're, and you could feel it, like you could feel it bubbling up. You just want to accuse them. You want to point, you want to shift the blame. You want to point a finger. You want to make it heat, more heated than it needs to be. But what do you do? You remember what you read earlier that morning. No, Andrew, be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Why? Because that's the attitude of Christ. I have everything I need in Jesus, so I don't have to prove my point to this person right now. In fact, I should probably do the opposite. I should forgive myself or them, whatever needs to be done to reconcile, but make this right. That's, that's what real love and action looks like to God, right? Serve him. How about that? Serving the Lord. Look at verse 20 again of chapter 10, Deuteronomy. You shall fear the Lord your God, Moses says. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. So how can you directly serve God? How can you serve his kingdom somehow? I mean, how are you putting love for God in action through service? Right? Are, are you serving in the community somehow and showing the love of Christ to others? Are you serving in this local church somehow and showing Jesus and helping? Perhaps you help kids learn about the Bible or maybe you just go back on you know Sunday morning sometimes. Maybe you help during extended care and you help watch those babies. And you know what? That's amazing. That's amazing because it is providing a safe place for them to come and know that they are loved. What a great way to serve. There's all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of examples, but how are you serving? That's the point. How are you showing God in action, not just with words, that you're serving him and you're loving him? What about this? Giving back to him, right, through tithes and offerings. Are we setting aside a tithe and an offering out of our paychecks to give to the Lord and what he's doing? There's all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of examples, but the point is this. Let's not just say that we love God while actually not doing anything in action. The words can be empty in a love relationship, including ours with God. May our words not just be words. May they do real good for the Lord, bring honor and praise to him. Are you really loving God with practical action? All right, that's number one. Okay, the big second thing we see here in Deuteronomy 10, love others. Same thing, different direction. Love God with practical action, love others with practical action. You know, this is, again, right out of the New Testament, right? We just read Jesus' words in Matthew 22 about the number one most important thing is loving God. But you know what he said right after that? Isn't this cool? Look at this, verse 37 through 39 of chapter 22 in Matthew. And he said to him, so here's the first part, right? You shall love the Lord your God. That's first. That's the first and greatest commandment. He says, verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible repeatedly, the Bible repeatedly tells us that real, true faith, real faith is proved, is demonstrated in loving actions and service to other people. That's exactly what we see here in Deuteronomy 10 in Moses' sermon, right? Moses had a lifetime of experience and he had been I mean, let's be real. Moses had been walking around a desert for 40 years with these stubborn people, right? 
okay? And, and he had seen them not love each other. He had seen them be very selfish with their time, their resources, their efforts, everything. What does he say? Look at verses 17 through 19 again. He says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He is God. Let's leave him as that. Let's not try to dumb him down as if he's gonna take a bribe, as if he's gonna play politics and be partial to others. No, God is God. There is none like him. And so what does that mean for us? We look at him. We look at his character. We look at how he loves other people and how do, what do we do in response? We love them the same. Look, what, look, how does God love? Look at this, verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Moses tells the people, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So Moses is telling Israel they can love others by what? Imitating God's love. Imitate the heart of God in your own personal lives, he says, by imitating his care, his concern for those who are most vulnerable and at the bottom of the social order. Is that not what Moses is saying? Look at the character of God here, right? Moses says, look at God's heart. He does not show favoritism to a certain person or types of people. He takes no bribe, right? He doesn't, he's not looking to, for some kind of selfish gain and manipulating people through his words and through his actions. He loves the marginalized. He seeks their well-being. He ensures that justice is upheld, specifically for orphans, widows, and refugees. Those are the examples Moses gives, right? Israel themselves, because here's what Israel can't forget. They were refugees in Egypt, right? I mean, that's exactly what they were. They, they look at the love, look at the love of God that he showed them as they were living in a foreign land that was not their own. So then how could they turn around and possibly mistreat or ignore the refugees living among them? You see, it's when you really understand the heart of God and what he's done for you. It's when you really understand the grace you've received, the love you've received through Jesus Christ. It's when you understand that and you're grateful for that, that you really start to develop a heart and a love for other people. You're never really going to love people the way God loves people. You're never going to see people the way God sees people if you yourself aren't grateful for his own love. Especially people that we would otherwise maybe never associate with. As Christians, you know, one time before you met Christ, you got to remember where you came from. You got to remember your spiritual roots. They're not pretty, right? We were spiritually orphans. That's exactly what we were. Before we put our faith in Christ, we were spiritual orphans. We did not have a spiritual father. We did not have a spiritual family. We did not have a spiritual eternal inheritance waiting for us. We were spiritual nomads. We were spiritual refugees. We were spiritually homeless and poor. That's exactly our state before Christ. But you know what? You know what changes it all? Paul says it well and simply. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, look at the screen. For you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's it. 
And that's not talking about money, by the way. It's not talking about money. That's talking about the spiritual riches and blessings and being known and loved by your creator. That Jesus had everything you could ever imagine in the glories of heaven and gave it all up. Now he did live in actual poverty, like real serious poverty in the Middle East, right? That's what Jesus did. He came and lived in that way. Why? So that he could give fully. He could give everything without restraint, holding nothing back to die for our sins and pay the penalty of our sin to satisfy the wrath of a holy God that we just sang about so that we wouldn't have to. So that we could become rich in his name to adopt you into a forever family to give you God's family, to give you a place to belong, to feed you with his word, to clothe you with his robes of righteousness. Do you see it? Do you see how Jesus experienced the worst of the worst to give you the best of the best? That's exactly what he did and that's why he did it. When you know that you've been loved like that, when you see that, when you grasp that, when you spend daily moments thinking about that and praising God for that, even though you don't deserve it, how can you not love others the same way? How could we not? Look at what you've been given. Now give it away. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, the way people are gonna know that I am real, (laughs) right? Jesus essentially is saying, the way people will know that I am real and that I really died on the cross, I really rose from the grave and I really have the power to change your life is not by you just saying things, not by you just making creative or you know, intellectual Facebook posts. It's not by you just doing this or wearing a Christian t-shirt. It's by the real love that you show your neighbors. That is it, Jesus says. And then in 1 John chapter three, John says this so well. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How do we give ourselves fully to the Lord? How do we do that? By not closing ourselves off not closing our hearts against those in need, refusing to share God's love or share the gospel or spend time with people that need to know the Lord's love for them. What are some practical examples? James gives some. James chapter one, look at what he says about this. It's all related, right? He says, if anyone thinks, if anyone thinks he's religious, so you may think, oh, I'm a good Christian person, I attend church, blah, blah, blah. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In other words, if you aren't actually controlling your temper and you're, and you're just going around and you're saying things frivolously, right? You're, you're, not, you're not actually being, there's no heart change, right? But look what he says. You know how you can see real heart change? By the love you show others. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's visible. 
It's real. It makes a difference in people's lives. And now, you know, we don't have time to cover all the examples today, but the New Testament is full, is full of examples of this, this stuff. The disciples in the book of Acts, right? You see it in Paul's letters, people helping one another, sacrificing of their own for each other, right? But you know where you see it the best? In the life of Jesus. Look at who Jesus spent time with. Look at how he loved in practical action. You know, lepers, lepers were people who were untouchable because of their skin disease. They would have to live outside the city gates and it, it was just miserable. It was, it was, a, it was a complete, it was a, just a complete rejection from society. What did Jesus do? He moved towards them when no one else would. He reached out his hand and touched them when no one else would. Jesus moved towards the poor. He moved moved towards the suffering when no one else would. So if we really love Jesus, like if we really love Jesus, if we are really followers of Jesus as we call ourselves, what must we do? How can we give ourselves fully to the Lord? We must move towards the hurting. We must move towards the suffering. You know, here's how this might play out. Here's the commitment we must make. We must make, if we're going to love God with practical action, if we're going to love others with practical action, if we're going to give ourselves as Christians fully to the Lord, like fully. Now, you don't have to give yourself fully if you don't want to. Well, that'll catch up with you. But what you're commanded to do, right? What we're commanded to do is to give ourselves fully to the Lord. So fully, right? Here's what that looks like. We must be resolute. We must be resolute in our commitment to this and say, you know what? No, no, we're not going to only hang out with people who are just like us. We're going to make intentional effort to hang out with people who are not like us. No, we're not going to seek to distance ourselves more and more from the poor and the needy. No, we're not going to turn a blind eye to the sufferings around us among the weak and the marginalized. No, we will not. We will not do that as the followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we, we more than all people should know what it's like to be delivered out of spiritual poverty. We were marginalized ourselves away from God because of our own choices, because of our own rebellion against him. But Jesus, but Jesus came to us in our poverty, in our rebellion, in our sin, in our rejection. He came to us. He touched us when no one else would, and he changed us forever. He changed us forever. So we should know, we should know we should know the grace, the gracious love of God that he became, he became marginalized. He became socially ostracized to save us, to reach us, to be near us. Jesus endured poverty, social ridicule, physical suffering, false imprisonment, injustice. He, en- he endured all those things. All those things actually happened to him. He became poor in this way so that we could become spiritually rich in him forever. Not to hoard it, though. Not to, not to hoard it for selfish gain, but to give it. To give it fully. To give it away. Jesus moves towards the hurting. So in abundant gratitude, as people who've received that love, we move. We move towards the spiritually helpless. 
We move towards the seekers. We move towards the skeptics. We move towards our neighbors who aren't religious. We move towards those in the hospital who are suffering. We move towards those who are battling disease. We move towards those who are, who are financially poor. We move towards those who are hurting and homeless. We move towards them and we're resolute in our commitment to do so, to display the love of Jesus to those who are hurting. We do this because we know. We know the grace. We know the love. We felt it ourselves. We must approach, we must move towards, because this is the love of Jesus. That is the love of Jesus. So as we close today, as we think about this weighty, right, it's pretty weighty, this conviction, this convicting piece of Scripture we just read from Moses, Deuteronomy 10, from Jesus himself, right, when we think about this, I want us to have a time of prayer and and really, really just be honest with the Lord, Maybe we need to confess, right? Maybe we just need to be honest and say, God, I, I know that in my heart of hearts, I love you, but I am really struggling. I am struggling to give all of who I am to you. I am struggling to love you with practical action. I am struggling to want to get up and read my Bible. I don't, I'm not disciplining myself to spend time with you in prayer. I'm not disciplining myself to know your word and your truth and hide it in my heart so that in those daily little moments of frustration, I don't sin. I'm just, I'm really struggling to do these things. I'm struggling to love those around me. I feel like I've turned a blind eye to my neighbors. I feel like I don't even know who they are. I feel like I don't even know the people around me at work. I'm just selfish and I only think about myself. I think about the next paycheck. I think about the things I have to do and I don't spend time with people that are hurting and helpless. Lord, would you convict me? Maybe this is the prayer we just need to pray today. And I don't know, you know, personally where each of you are exactly, but you do and the Lord does. So just be honest, right? Just be honest with him about where you really are. In your heart of hearts right now, just cry out to the Lord. Confess if you need to. But I think we all need to ask the same question. How can we really love God in action? How can we love other people with practical action? Who can we help? Who can you help in your life? There's got to be somebody around you. Who's hurting? Christmas season can be great. Christmas season can be really hard for some people. Who's hurting around you? Who's suffering around you? Who's struggling that you can help? Listen, we can't help everybody You can't help everybody. You can't solve every problem, but you know what? You can help one person. You can help somebody. Maybe you can solve one problem. Who can you serve with the love of Jesus Christ? Are you giving yourself fully to the Lord in these ways? Let's pray. Let's just be honest with God right now. Let's confess if we need to confess. Let's ask him to help us do this. Maybe we just need to ask him to pinpoint someone, to pop someone's face in our minds, it could be a coworker, it could be someone that lives in your apartment complex, maybe in your, maybe in your neighborhood, just a friend that you haven't talked to in a little while, family member. Who is it that God is showing right now in your mind as you pray that's struggling, that's suffering? How can you help them? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we... As your people, we desire to give ourselves fully to you, and Lord, it is so hard for us. God, it's just really difficult because the weight of this world pulls at us from every direction. God, it's such a busy time of year. We feel our schedules fill up fast. Our bank accounts dwindle quickly. 
There's just a lot. There's just a lot going on in our personal lives. But Lord, that is no reason, that is no excuse for us to ignore the needs around us. That is no excuse for us to somehow hold something back and not give ourselves fully to you. Lord, the only reason we can do this, the only possible way we could even fathom or seek or strive to give ourselves fully to you is because you gave yourself fully to us. That's it. There's no other way. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that you became poor, that you suffered in place of us so that we would never have to. So God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you and we do love you, but now let us leave this place and show that love. Out of a heart full of thanks and gratitude, Lord, let us let it just spill over into who we become. And so Lord, I pray for anybody here today who's picturing someone in their life right now It could be just an acquaintance at work. It could be a family that they know is in need this Christmas season. It could be a friend. It could be a family member, Lord, whoever it is. Whoever needs help. Whoever just needs a touch of the love of Jesus in their life. Lord, would you help us to do that this year? It's not too late. It's not too late. Lord, help us to make a difference in somebody's life. Not so that we can feel better about ourselves, so that we can show them your great, great love in hopes that we can tell them, tell them verbally about your great, great love. Lord, would you give us pathways to do this? Would you help us to be intentional and proactive in doing this? Would you give us grace? Would you give us mercy? to be the kind of people, not that we think we need to be, but that you have already called us to be, to give ourselves fully to you. We love you. Now let us go show that love to somebody else. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.